Hello, everyone. My name is Kanai Kapadia. I'm the president and chief analyst of KGK and Company. KGK is a strategic management consultancy that helps middle market companies align with their best growth opportunities, overcome their more challenging operational frustrations, and ultimately to grow their earnings. If you're intrigued by the idea of a firm that wants to be a profit center rather than a cost center for your business, use the link in the show notes to connect Melissa, with me. thank you very much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, Reiki Office Interiors designs, builds, and installs commercial furniture and some uh, residential furniture as well these days. Am I correct? Yes. Wonderful. Can you tell us a little bit about the business, what it looked like when you joined and then how it's evolved over the years to where you're at today? Sure. So I joined 22 years ago as the CFO. And at that time, we just did used and refurbished office furniture. Then we decided to start manufacturing our own line of office furniture. And then we just kept adding from there. So We do manufacture our own line of furniture. We manufacture custom furniture. We install flooring. And we also have a full interior design firm now as of seven years ago. So we started out basically designing furniture. And now we design spaces. Okay. At what point did um, the business grow beyond design? Can you tell us a little bit about what that process looked like? Yeah, so we are a continual improvement process company. So we never sit still. One of the reasons why in the first place I didn't want to come work there, I was like, oh, I don't want to work for just one company. I worked for multiple companies, but I've never been bored in the 22 years that I've been there because we're constantly, what do our customers need? What is the next thing that we can help people with? We're all about helping businesses get better. So that seems weird when you're like, well, you just sell office furniture. Well, we are coming from the standpoint of if you design a proper space, then you can attract really good talent and really good talent and your people are what actually makes your company great. So you need that foundation of a space. Then you add the people on top of it. Then you can go out with your vision and become a wonderful company and win. Yeah. So help me just create a chronology here from a timeline standpoint. What year was it when the business decided to go beyond design, start building furniture? So let's see here. Building our own furniture was 18 years ago. So what was that? I don't even know what year that would be at this point in time. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. I think that gives us just general context. And so as Riki was designing spaces. What was the underserved need from a build standpoint where you guys said, okay, maybe we should build some stuff. Maybe we should be in that business too. Yeah. So instead of just, I would say from, we wanted to make it more customized to each. So anybody can buy and sell office furniture. It's, this size, this rectangular, you know, item, this circle desk or table or anything like that. 
we really wanted the space to envelop their culture. So we want their culture and their space to match. So what kind of culture are you looking for? Are you looking for a techie culture? Are you looking for a a more homey culture? Are you looking for, you know, are you a driver culture? There's so many different types of culture. Are you working like our culture, work hard, play hard. So we work just as hard as we play. And if you can really take your space to the next level of matching your culture with your space. So let me give you an example. You're interviewing somebody to come work for you. And you say, we value our employees. We value innovation. We value continual improvement process. And your space is from the 1980s and it's 2020 right now. That really doesn't go hand in hand. There will be a disconnect. The interviewee might not realize like something's off from what they're saying to the space. They might not even realize it's what the person's saying and their space not matching but they will feel that because space has a feeling when you come into it. We get that all the time when people come to tour our facility. We do tours all the time and people are like, wow, I feel the energy in this space. I feel why you guys are doing what you're doing and you can tell that there's passion around doing that. So the other thing, if you're hiring somebody and that person's going to another location as well, So they're being interviewed for this job with you, the same similar job with somebody else. Usually pay and benefits are around the same for a job function. You know, project managers get paid a certain amount of money. IT people get paid a certain amount of money. Benefits are usually around the same. But if I go into your space and it's beautiful and wonderful and you're like, wow, and then I go to the other person's space and it's stuck in the 1980s, which one am I going to choose if I'm that employee? I'm most likely going to choose the one that has a better space because two things that probably is telling me subconsciously is one, that they care about their employees. They care about the environment they're in, the chair they're sitting in, how they're working. The other thing is it shows that they're with the times. They're willing to move forward and um, be more creative, be more innovative with their space and with their company. Mm -hmm. So the options both 20 years ago and today are essentially go to Office Depot or some office supplier, go custom or go through a distributor, right? Where you're buying Herman Miller or maybe not even necessarily as high on the brand, but via distribution. Yeah. So I fully appreciate, I'm both a student of the science behind how your space affects productivity and engagement and essentially the economics of a business, i.e. why you should care, right? Even if you are uh, more of a numbers person than, than a culture person, it does make good business sense. But 20 years ago, were there, did you guys see it, an opportunity to provide that higher quality build and that custom option? Did that not exist at that point as much as it does today? Yes, it didn't exist. At that time, when we got into the custom we had no competitors. None of the distributors offered any custom furniture at all. The only way you could get custom furniture was, and really it wasn't furniture, but maybe like a reception desk or is to go to a custom mill worker. And the prices that a custom mill worker were going to charge you were just outrageous. You really couldn't even afford that. 
And we figured out how to do it parametrically with our software. So if I have a cabinet, let's say it's 36 by 40, and you want that 35 by 42, I can do that for no extra cost because I have parametric software that makes that very easy to do. So then, and everybody's spaces are different and there's weird angles. So if you were to come and tour our facility, we actually have spaces that have weird angles and how do you fit normal furniture into that? And we make it look built in. So that does make a difference. Again, trying to customize and individualize each person's space. So instead of just, oh, okay, I have to go with this size desk because that's the only desks that are offered. Ours will fit into any space that there is. Yeah. Now, in terms of in terms of markets that the company serves, is it? It's obviously folks who are concerned about the impression that the office places on both both everyone visiting from the outside as well as everyone who works for the business. Is there a particular size organization that you guys are targeting? We really can almost do any size. The only stipulation would be lead time. So, you know, if we had a thousand person office, that might take us a little longer than our normal four to six week lead time. But we're already faster than most office furniture places anyway. So that probably wouldn't be an issue. But our sweet spot would be probably 200 employees would be, you know, the ones that are like, oh, you're in, you're out. They're not taking an extremely long period of time. But we can do from one person all the way up. It really doesn't matter. We will make it work and we might just change up the process a little bit. And what's cool about being the manufacturer is I can change up the process and I don't have a bunch of red tape that I have to go through or talk to a separate manufacturer to figure out how to make that happen. Yeah. Now, the real estate world and the leasing world, whether you're buying or you're you're leasing, it's a complicated stack of intermediaries, right? And so what are the key success factors, both from a marketing and sales standpoint, but also from a manufacturing and execution standpoint? You know, what, what are those things that they're the secret sauce, if you will, behind your, your success? Yeah. So, well, we try to get to the end user as soon as possible, definitely, and try to bypass all of those type of people if we can. You know, that could make it more complicated in that process. but. Commercial real estate brokers are our friends. So, you know, they're usually the ones that are going to find out probably, you know, the the soonest. If not, they're accountants, to be honest with you, because an accountant usually knows a business inside and out. They know how well they're doing. They know whether there needs to be more expenses for the year because they're running into a high tax, you know, situation. And um, so that's actually a really good place to get leads because an accountant usually knows when somebody is in need of something. Right, right. So from a economic standpoint, how does custom compare to, say, your, you know, your average office furniture option and also against the typical distribution model, right, where it's an exercise in designing the space and then specking out what different vendors' products would fit into it? So I would say we're middle of the road pricing-wise. We are definitely not going to be um, the low-cost provider, but we're also not the most expensive either. 
even though it's custom, it's custom with not custom pricing. So we basically sell furniture, but not through a catalog. And we're, yeah, we're not the lowest, but we're not the highest. And it's usually cost effective with the design that you get. But because we are doing the full design and the installation and the manufacturing, you save over the long haul, especially if we're designing and helping with the project management of the construction from beginning to end. And the sooner you talk to us, the more we can save because we consider the end first and not a lot of people are doing that. So um, architects are, but they're really doing it from a, a building perspective, not necessarily how they're going to use the space. The construction people are really looking at it just from, okay, I'm going to construct. I need to, code says I need electrical here, 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 lighting here and here. But they didn't really realize, well, how are they planning on using the space? What is their whole idea of how they want the space to look? And if we can get in soon enough and start with the end in mind, then if you work yourself backwards, well, okay, electrical needs to be put here get that done while the wall is still open. So then that saves you money instead of you find out afterwards and you're like, oh, shoot, now I have to put extra electrical in there. Yeah. Are you typically competing against other custom build or outfits or do people debate between these other options we've been talking about? It's usually competing against the other big guys. So like there are the five big guys in office furniture. I'm not usually going against other custom furniture people because there really are not a lot of them out there. So they're just trying to decide whether they go with a name brand and the cookie cutter sizes, or do they go with custom and maybe not the household name? Yeah. So then going back to key success factors, you know, if you look at the furniture manufacturing business as a whole, quality control and ability to be consistent and have have lead times that are predictable. These are all really key components. Is that essentially the same story for, for you guys? Yes. So we only manufacture to the job. So which is a little bit different than our manufacturers that we're competing against, I would say, because they're going to run a line of, okay, I'm going to have these walls and I'm going to have these workstations and I'm going to have these conference tables and we are only to the job. So all of our colors are custom and we don't manufacture anything ahead of time. So we're more like a job shop manufacturing plant than we are just running lines of furniture. Hmm. So that is different. We do have 13 in stock colors. So if somebody wants it to, it's a little less money because I can buy in bulk. And it is obviously a faster lead time since I have it in stock. So if they don't want to go down that road, then I can give them any color laminate under the sun, but it will cost a little bit more money and it will take a little bit more time. But anything is possible as long as you do the right expectations up front and communication and stick with their construction timeline. Yeah. Interesting. Are there any other key success factors on the manufacturing side that come to mind for you? More just like the parametric, like I said before, and then also being able to, so I'll give you an example. Every once in a while, we'll get a customer that for some reason is like, oh, I'm moving next week. And you're like, 
you didn't think about buying office furniture before a week before you're going to move? Okay, <laughs> we can help you. We'll figure it out. So we have, in instances, worked all day on Saturday and all day on Sunday and got an order on a Thursday and turned it out the following week to install the following Thursday by squeezing it in and figuring out whatever we have to do with our schedule. And because we're a job shop and because I have manufacturing right back in my plant, so I can just walk back there and talk to them, we can work stuff out, move stuff around, figure out whatever we have to do. I don't have a big giant line that I have to stop that you're stopping production of a big giant line. I have more, I have the CNC machines, the edge vanders and all that, but it's still set up as a job shop. So if I had to stop a job, I could stop a job in the middle of it, squeeze another one in, and then go back to the job I was working on. Right. How big is your manufacturing facility in, in terms of people and size and whatnot? So total manufacturing, we have 30 people on the floor, and then we have eight installers that go out and do the installation. We have 150,000 square foot building, but the manufacturing part of that, because we have a showroom as well as a distribution area, as well as some used and the manufacturing plant. So I would say the manufacturing part's only about 50,000 square feet. Okay. And then from a sales standpoint, what does use a third party staff to sell is or no, we have all of our own salespeople. I have 12 salespeople on staff that are knocking on doors. So they are. So we basically with our sales structure, we do cold calling, we do networking, we do what we call power partners. So we have a list of different areas that people should have a power partner in. So movers, IT, phones, commercial real estate, facilities managers, accountants. So all of the people who kind of sell to all of the people that we sell to so that they can share leads back and forth. Yeah. And that um, has been our game plan forever. That's how we've done it. And only uh, over the last two to three years have we really done true marketing. Now we actually have a full-time marketing person. I have an outside um, marketing uh, company. And I would say that that has really helped. In the, in the past, we were like, ah, we don't need marketing. It takes too much money to market. You have to... Um, you know, you just have to put all this money and you're just throwing, you know, darts at all these different places and you're not sure where they're going to land. At least if you had a salesperson going after specific, you know, customers, at least you knew, okay, I'm going after this customer and I got them or I didn't get them. In marketing, you're like throwing it all out there and you're like, is it working? Is it not working? Did I, did I land on somebody? Did I not? How did they hear about me? You know, but we have noticed that a lot more people know who we are from the marketing that we have done. And I would say this year, hiring a PR company has been completely different for us. We hired a PR company for our safe space product that we came up with this year. And that has really boosted our um, social media presence and how many people know who we are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned the product that that was rolled out this year for the pandemic. Different businesses succeed for different reasons. 
So you could have innovation that drives the business. You could have investment, the ability to you know, do things like put in place a new facility, acquire new assets and things like that. And then just operational efficiency. Can you talk about the role of each of those things in the business's success? Yeah. So innovation definitely has been really helpful in our business. So I would say that innovation and constant and continual improvement process, meaning like adding the new thing. So going from used to refurbished to manufacturing our own line to custom to adding flooring to adding the design firm to adding different really cool reception desks and different private offices, adding sit stands to our private offices from a standpoint of the executive look. So innovation has always been really big for us. Definitely just what's the next thing we can do? What's the next thing we can do? How can we help our customers with the next thing, the next thing? Because if you already have a customer, what else can you help that customer with? Not by like, oh, how else can I you know, squeeze more out of this customer? It's more from a standpoint of the go-giver approach of being a resource for your customers. If you already have a customer, it's very expensive to get customers. What else can you help that customer with? So basically now I can help a customer with ceilings, walls, floors, and everything in between. So you, we've used that as a way to grow from our customers who already knew us from a very long time ago, because now you can stay top of mind to them because you call them and you're, hey, we have this next new thing we're doing and this next new thing we're doing and this next new thing we're doing. And then like with a safe space product, like I was telling you, so during the, when the pandemic very first started, we are obviously in office furniture. So as our main item, nobody was letting you in their offices. So the faucet just shut off. I've been through many, many, many issues with the business going up, down, up, down, up, down. This was the fastest down. I mean, I've been through the dot-com crash. I've been through the recession. 9-11 had a big impact on office furniture. There's just been a lot of things that have affected the office furniture world. Nothing as fast as this. You kind of saw some of this stuff coming. This, not at all. It was one week we were up and running, almost having the best year that we were having as a start anyway, in January and February. Two, faucet shut off. Nobody's allowed to go into anybody's location. And we had to shut down for three solid weeks. We had our complete manufacturing shut down, no lights on, nobody in our building, nothing. And we were like, okay, what are we going to do? So we have to do something. And I have such a wonderful group and team that I work with on my staff. We came up with, from the idea of coming up with the um, PPP or the PPE, sorry, for the offices, which my CFO came up with, by the way. He was at the doctor's office and um, they had this big shield that the doctor had on his face. And he's like, well, why don't we just do this for the office furniture world? So in the private offices, conference room, reception desk, workstations that are right next to each other, growing panels, because everybody's panels are very low right now and nobody wants that. But you still want the natural light to come in. But from the time he had that idea, we all had a meeting which was a different meeting, but this, it got brought up in this meeting. That meeting ended up lasting two hours because we were like, well, I think we can do it. And everybody jumped on like, well, I can go make prototypes. 
I can pull back manufacturing. We can do this on the marketing side. Okay, we're going to set up a website. We need price. So in one week's time, I mean, we were working probably 16, 18 hours a day for that seven days in a row. But we did pricing, marketing, prototypes, everything done, costing, the whole thing, the whole nine yards, including a website and all the marketing materials in one week. And we had our first sale the first day that we opened up. So basically like kudos to our team and how we run our company where let's just figure out what we have to do. We will figure out what we have to do. We will make it happen no matter what. We've always ran our company like that. We manufacture and engineer on the fly a lot. So we'll get an order and then we're like, okay, let's get everybody in the room. How are we going to make this? What are we going to (laughs) do? That will happen sometimes on some of the custom stuff we're working on. A salesperson's like, let's go. I got this order. This is what they want. Okay, we've never made that before, but we'll figure it out. And then we make it happen. So we're so used to just, what do we have to do? All hands on deck. Let's figure it out. That this was the safe space saved our company this year. Yeah. I think a lot of executives figured out who's really with them (laughs) this year. Yeah. You know. The other thing that we did, because we've learned, so so I I, I learned this over economy going down many of times and our sales going down many times. You have to see that and cut fast and deep right away. It's very hard. It sucks. We had to lay off a bunch of people. We had to be, you know, creative. We had to figure out, okay, who on our staff, if we can only keep one person from each department, because that's how bad it was in the beginning, which person on e- in each department can wear as many hats as they can? So. We had to basically just go down apartment, department, department, who can wear as many hats as they can. And then we had to let, I mean, I think we probably were one of the first people out of a lot of companies I talked to that laid people off the first week. We knew it. It was not easy. We had, the management was working, you know, I mean, I swear 20 hours a day trying to figure out, okay, how do we keep the company afloat? Cause the one thing that people don't think about sometimes the golden goose basically is the company. If you don't have a company, you don't have a company for any of these employees to ever come back to. And I take, you know, to heart, I have a lot of people that work for me and a lot of families. I have some employees that have worked for me for 20 years. I mean, these people are like family to me, but you have to make those tough decisions to keep the company afloat. And it's not like, oh, you chose the company over the employees. If you don't choose the company, you don't have any employees. So you have to keep the company afloat first. So we had to make a lot of tough decisions in the beginning, but we knew make them fast, make them quick, get cash flow under control as fast as you can, because you can be a company making money and you can go out of business if you don't have cash flow. That's a serious thing that you have to work on. So doing that right away also saved our company. And then by doing it right away, we were able to get people back as soon as we could. You know, I still don't have all of my staff back, which is still sad, but you have to do what you have to do to keep the company going. Yeah, absolutely. I think the the book Profit First and that theory and thesis is people don't understand a lot of times that regardless of whether your intent is growth and job creation and upward options for everyone in your business or it's profit, 
you still need earnings from the business in order to fund those things. Everything right. costs money, right? <laughs> yes. So profit doesn't necessarily mean a new car for you. It means ability to reinvest in the business. Right. Buy a new machine, hire a new employee. Yes. Takes money to make money, unfortunately, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I want to talk about innovation again. So innovation saved you guys this year, right? It can be a double-edged sword as well, right? So you can end up exploring way too many things. And I've not worked in, in furniture manufacturing, but I've worked in other environments where the essence, the ethos of the business was building things, cool things, new things, worthwhile things. But you can end up way too broad. And that can hurt your business just as much as, in this case, it helped it. So have you run into that challenge? Yes. So I would say in the past, we were like, let's try this. Let's try that. Let's try this. Let's try that. And we definitely did in some years lose money. And we're like, well, why do we lose money? And what did we do? And doing all these great things. And we're like, because we're not measuring properly and we're not keeping focus and we're having 15 new initiatives instead of three new initiatives. And that has definitely hurt us in the past. I mean, we've lost money many years that I've been um, here because of that exact thing. And I would say the biggest thing that has helped us is having a cohesive management team that everybody plays a really good role. So like my issue is, okay, I'm a visionary and I really can be like, oh, shiny new object, shiny new object. I'm all about, you know, and then I have my CFO who really keeps us on track. And he's just like, no, we said we were going to work on these items. We were going to work on these items and we will have a discussion. So like if something comes up and it's like, but it's really cool and it's exciting and it could make us money. We have a vetting process now that we will go through. Okay. Will it bring in this much revenue? And right away, like just we'll look at top line numbers first. Will it bring in this much revenue? Ooh, nope. Okay. Done. Like it's already off the plate. And, you know, so then we'll get down the ranks of like the four or five things. And if it makes it all the way down, then we're like, okay, do we have the resources to do it? And if we don't, then do we do it next year? Or is this going to be a better opportunity than a different thing that we have going on? So maybe we want to, you know, switch those out. So I would say in the past, we had no processes around any of this. We just were like, yeah, next new thing, next new thing, which definitely hurt us as a company. It hurt us to be, you know, bigger and successful, faster we could have done it. But having that process and um, vetting it through, then you're like, oh, okay, it makes sense or it doesn't make sense. And is everybody on board with this, you know, in the management team? Or is somebody really like, no, it doesn't make any sense. And why are we doing this? And if we can't explain that, then we don't do it. Mm -hmm. Learning to say no has been one of the really big things for me because I hate saying no. I love saying yes. Yeah, we can do that. Oh, sure. No problem. But, and it's really hard for me sometimes to say no because all my salespeople are straight commission. So when you have a straight commission sales staff and they bring you a project and they're like, can we quote this project? And it goes against all of the things that you've already figured out that no, you should not go after that project. So, you know, that's 10 or 15 years to be able to come up with that list of the projects we shouldn't go after. You know, we made many mistakes that we've learned from. But 
I have to tell the salesperson no. And they're like, oh, but I worked on this opportunity. I'm sorry. It wasn't the right opportunity. And, and sometimes I have to say no, but that no will help them as well. Because if they were just going to waste time on a project and it was going to be no at the end anyway, they could be selling twice as much by going to work on the right project. Yeah. So just as you put process in place for new product development, has that been something that became a theme throughout the business where, you know, we're talking sales now, where sales needs just as much guidance as R&D does, but in different ways. You didn't have to pay that salesperson for that, that opportunity that went nowhere, but it was still opportunity cost for them and for you, right? So is there a process layer emerging across the whole business for you guys? The thing that we actually came up with in about two and a half, three years now, we put together a continual improvement process team that has one person from each department on the team. And they actually, it's really kind of funny because it just took on a life of its own. In the beginning, it was kind of hard. So it was like, we took every problem from every department and wrote it up on a board. So sales, what are your issues? Design, what are your issues? Manufacturing, what are your issues? Installers, what are your issues? And we wrote them all up on a board, quantified all of them, figured out which ones you know were really easy that you could just take right off the list, you know, just get them done right away. And then other ones that actually were going to need a new process or a procedure or really thinking about it more. And this team did better than I could possibly imagine. In the beginning, they were like, this is weird. I don't know what we're doing. And like, but we just kept going. We did not stop. We knew that the process would work if we just kept them going every single week. And it was so amazing. They made all these new processes. They trained, like we had processes and then we had processes for the processes. So we got a new process. How do we implement the process? Because before we would make processes and then two or three months later, we would be like, didn't we just come up with a process for that? Why are we still having this problem? And people would be like, well, we didn't tell this person and we didn't tell this person. So then we came up with, okay, we have a new process. How do you implement this process? Okay, you have to have training. Did everybody get communicated to? Then we would actually have a sign off that, okay, I was trained. I understand. I don't have any more questions. And this group grew and grew and grew. And just, it was one of the best things that we've ever done at our company because the communication between departments was so great because anytime a new issue came up in a department, the other bad thing, I'm just, I'm regressing for a second, is with processes, you could change a process. That's the other thing that we used to do as mistakes. We would change a process, but not understand how that process change affected other departments. So, oh, wow, we just saved these people 20 minutes of time. Oh, shoot. We just now created this department an extra hour of time. And this extra hour was at a higher pay rate. Ooh, wow. We just messed up our whole company by making that one process that we thought we were solving an issue when we were ending up creating another issue. But by having this continual improvement process and having every single department there, then you didn't miss anything because it's like we have this process. Okay. How does that affect this department, this department, this department? And then they would vet that all out until they came up with the best process that would help the company as a whole. Uh, it might cost this department a little bit more, but it, this department less. And then as the company as a whole, it was better. The other thing that was actually just kind of funny was they ended up creating 
their own little characters. So they put their faces on top of superhero bodies, and then they turned themselves into the X-Force team. And they were solving all the company's problems. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, it was kind of fun. And they got so good that they really made it through all of the initial like issues that we were having as a company. And then they started being proactive and doing, well, how can we make the company a better place to work? And then they were like, okay, what's the next fun thing that we could do? So a lot of it's all messed up now because of COVID, because most of all the fun things we were going to try to do as a team together in person. (laughs) Yeah. But procedures are are key because, you know, when you lose people, whether it's intentional or unintentional, what you lose is knowledge. A lot. (laughs) Having procedures, especially written ones, can be quite helpful if, you know, in times like these. They can, especially because in hindsight for us that with not having things written for many years, somebody would leave and then all of a sudden, I don't know, a month or two later, we're like, huh, why is this one thing not getting done? And you're like, oh no, that like we thought we transferred all that person's, you know, job functions to somebody else. And you're like, shoot, we didn't train that other person and we just let that fall through the cracks. And Sometimes it was stuff that you had to go back and recreate two months worth of stuff. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. So when you think back, so on the top of hindsight, when you think back at of all the ups and downs that you've been through in the business, what are some of the, the challenges that you really learned from? I would say, well, one of them, like I just said, about when you do have a downturn, cutting deep and one time, because if you are like, well, we could just cut this much and then you cut again. Now what you just created is like, okay, are they going to cut again? Like, do they know what they're doing? Is my job secure? This time when we did it, we were like, okay, you're all good. We're in this. Let's go. We're a team. Let's pull together. You know, we even changed our processes to meet every day because we just had a small group and we huddled every day. And okay, what are you working on? What are you doing? That's definitely one thing. The other thing is knowing that one bad apple can ruin the whole bushel of apples. (laughs) So having one bad person on your team has a ripple effect throughout your company. I had an employee and it was super hard to let him go. I let him stay way, 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 way too long. But he was there from the beginning. It was more like, oh, he's like family. And I knew he was doing things that were not right for the company. I knew that our value systems were, you know, at a level and his were not there. And it was brutal. And I knew it for years that I needed to get rid of him, but I let him stay way too long. And once I did let him go, wow, the difference in every department. And he was only in one department, but every department was affected by this one person. And I cannot believe the difference in my company now in every department because I don't have this person here. So No matter what you have to, if that person doesn't align with your values or they are just poisoning all of your other employees, it affects a lot of different areas. And as soon as you let them go, everybody's like, why'd that take you so long? (laughs) 
(laughs) (laughs) So that would be definitely some advice to um, get rid of the bad apple. Yeah. The um, to ask you the question they asked, why did it take you so long? Was it just was it all the emotional attachment and sense of obligation? It was definitely because they had been there so long. And part of it is they did help out a lot in the beginning. We changed as a company. So we went from being this small mom and pop shop to a real corporation with just and we outgrew the person. So we felt bad that like, well, they helped us in the beginning and they did this in the beginning. And and I tried to get the person to grow with us. Like, do you want to go to school? Do you want to do this? Do you want, you know, like, but this is the road we're going down. We're going to be more corporate, you know, even though we're really not corporate, but I'm from a mom and pop shop to a bigger organization with processes. We have processes now. They have to be followed. We have these processes for a reason. And um, yeah, the guilt of, wow, they helped us in the beginning. And, you know, I feel loyalty to my employees who helped me get where I am. And so that that was super hard. It was really hard. And, and he felt more like family to me than just an employee. Yeah, I understand. As you think forward about the changes that are the tectonic shifts in real estate that may or may not materialize. You know, one of the challenges for a a mid-sized business and small business, of course, is how do you keep a really good pulse on what's going on in the marketplace? And how do you guys do that? Yeah, ours is asking a lot of questions. So a bunch of different people are in networking groups and or business. I'm in some business leader groups. We do a lot of reading, research from a lot of different levels. So I have certain people like my CFO read certain things. My designer reads other things. My salesperson reads other things because obviously I can't stay on you know top of all of that. But we have somebody from each department staying up on what's happening. Where is money being spent? What's going on? So like, for instance, For the safe space product that we came up with, I knew that was a short-lived save for our company. Perfect this year, but once people have it, they don't need it again. And it was going to be a giant spike and then it was going to fall off, which I knew. So we were like, okay, we better come up with what's our next thing. So in July, even though we were still in the mix of selling a lot of safe space product in July, we could foresee by mm, October, December, this is definitely going to go down. So we better figure out what our next thing is. And the next thing is right now, people are spending money in their homes. They're not being able to go on vacation and they're spending money on their homes. It's the biggest thing that people are spending money on now. So we have the design staff and capabilities to be able to design spaces, no matter where those spaces are, whether in they're in your home or in your business. And now that business and um, personal is so blurred. You know, there's so many people working from home and we can take the same approach of, so, you know, our tagline is it used to be, and now we just changed it up a little bit, but we transform spaces into places people want to work. Now we transform spaces into places people want to live. So you live at work, you live (laughs) at home, you, you, some people live in their garage and some people live in their kitchen and some people live in, you know, their outdoor space. And So we have the capabilities to be able to create inspiring spaces. 
So why not extend that out to and create create inspiring spaces no matter where you are? So now we have VID lifestyles. So we've done you know a whole new website for that. And that's vertical interior design? Yes. So vertical interior design has already been our corporate line for seven years, but now we've added the vertical interior design lifestyles. That's way too long to say. So we've shrunk it down to VID lifestyles. And now we're going to work on that same approach where we're like, what's the feel you're looking for in your office? What's the feel you're looking for in your home? And the same thing with in the office. Okay. You have a foundation and then your people. It's the same thing for your home. What's the foundation you're looking for to be the best mom or to be the best dad or to have the best experiences? What's the flow you want in your home? And it makes a big difference. People, messy people, like I can say I'm kind of a messy person, but I I have (laughs) people that take care of that for me. Yeah. I used to be like, well, this is okay. It's just creative messiness. You know, it really does affect you in more ways than one. And it doesn't leave you with the space that you need to be the best mom you could be or be the best dad you could be or have the best experiences. And now that I work on that in a different way, I've brought design more into my home. My 12-year-old son was like, we built a new home and it was actually fully designed and all of that. He's like, can you believe we live like this? He was like, even he noticed as a 12-year-old boy that we're living a different designed life now. <laughs> yeah. So, so it does make a big difference. We want that space and that space can be your foundation to reach all your goals personally or business. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. I imagine that comes with its own set of challenges though, right? You're doing residential development, which there's different code. There are different set of... It takes a lot more handholding. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah, so, but again, about just rolling with the punches on what is needed and what staff do you need for that? Because it really does take a different staff for that. And that's one of the things you haven't asked me this question, but I'll just share with you. We um, use this software called Culture Index, and we've been using it for probably six or seven years now. That has really changed tons of things in our company. It changed our hiring process. It changed our team process. It actually helped us when we did have to do the cuts. I went and looked at our software for each individual employee and what their personality traits were. And I had to pick some people that had been at the company for less time to keep than people that had been there longer just because I needed somebody that could wear multiple hats. But the culture index helped me with that. It really moved the emotion out of it. And it was all about what is that person's core personality traits and what do I need to keep this business afloat while we're in this downturn? So there was really not that much emotion in it. There was emotion because I'm like, oh my God, I have to let go people and these people have been with me longer. And you know, it was very hard as being a business owner who super cares about her employees, almost like they're my family. But it did take the emotion out of it that way where it's like, this is just a business decision and I needed the person that could wear multiple hats and this person could wear the multiple hats. So again, talking about the home now, that's going to take a certain type of person too. So I go back to my culture index. I look at it. I'm like, okay, these are the people that can handle the home and these are the people that can handle the corporate. And then you just rearrange you know, people's job functions 
to work with their personality traits. Yeah. So culture index is about personality and core values. And so that's half the equation. It's an important half for sure. The other half is skills, right? Does culture index also give you insight into that or is that something? No, not the skills. So, and when I hire somebody, so I'm of the mindset that I can train skills. Somebody can go to college and learn a skill. I can train somebody a skill. I cannot train a personality trait or their values. They are what they are. So I always just look at their personality traits first and who they are as in their core. And then I look at their skill set because skills can be taught. Personality traits cannot be taught. Right. Do you maintain that point of view even when you need them to hit the ground running now? Right. It's a it's a new line of business. It's a new it's a new skill set and you need it to be productive now as opposed to six months or 12 months from now, right? Yeah. I mean, that would be if I was just taking somebody, you know, in-house and then having to train them. But if you're looking outside of your company, you're usually going to get, you know, 10, 15, 20 resumes that kind of have the skill set. So you're really looking at their personality traits first. Okay. Out of these 15 resumes, three of them have the personality traits that I'm looking for. Then from those three, who has the best skill set? But I always, I actually don't even look at resumes. I only look at my culture index. And then I have my other part of my management team then look at their skill sets. So I look at the personality traits. I interview for the personality traits and making sure they're a good fit in my company because they could have the best skill set in the world. If they're not a good fit for my company, it's not going to be good for them or good for me. Because I wasted training. I wasted getting them in there. They wasted another job opportunity that they maybe could have had if they were choosing between me and another company. So the fit really matters more. I actually have had to fire a salesperson who was pretty good at their job, their job part, not the personality part. And talking about the bad apple, I did get rid of this person before I did get rid of the other person. It didn't take me as long. But that the bad apple part of that and their personality traits, even though they did a good job on their skill set, they were just just wreaking havoc in my company that was just affecting so many other departments that that skill set didn't even matter. I really I lost sales because, I mean, their personality trait wasn't what I needed it to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's hard to account for those things sometimes, but something like culture index would give you insight into it. In terms of quantification, I mean, the impact of one person wreaking havoc on things, it's hard to see cause and effect in that way. So it is, but definitely culture index does help get the right person in the right seat from the beginning. Yeah, definitely. And I vetted it out. Believe me, in the beginning, I'm like, I don't really believe this. I'm I'm not a person who believes anything until you can prove to me and show me. And um, you have to go through a two day training. And in the whole two day training, I was trying to Nope, I don't believe it. Nope. Oh, okay. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. And it was like, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. You're right. Yep. <laughs> so I was proved wrong the whole time. You know, I'm so glad you brought this up because I talk with people all the time who they acknowledge culture and they accept the management theory around it, but they don't quite get it. And for me, it's an exercise. I'm the analytical mind in the room, right? So I'm looking to take culture and say, okay, culture is causing this behavior and this behavior. 
causes this to happen or not happen. And that has a cost and a benefit to it. And that's how I drill down for the finance person in the room and say, here's the implication of culture on performance. And then they kind of sort of get it. But as you might imagine, that's that's kind of a tough, that's a tough series of sort of cause and effect to justify in front of someone. But what did you hear or experience in that process where you said, oh, okay, I get this. Experience a little bit of many years of making mistakes and knowing like, ooh, this person's not a good fit or this isn't working. And then in hindsight, looking back of like, hmm, yeah, okay, that person caused us this, caused us this, caused us this. And then the culture index, obviously in the beginning, it does take a little bit of time because you know I've been doing it for so long. So now I know it works because there'll be a few times where I'm like, I really like this person. And I know their personality traits don't like necessarily go with the job function, but I could like manipulate them or justify, like I could justify, you know, but, 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 and then kick myself and I'm like, I knew better. And then they don't fit, you know, in, and then I'm like, okay, next time I'm going to listen, I'm going to make sure. So I've done it enough. I've made a few mistakes over the time frame of not listening to the results of the culture index. And then it's come back to bite me. So now I'm like, okay, nope. I mean, I might love that person. I like them a lot. They could be a friend of mine, but I'm not hiring them for this position. Yeah. 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 You see how that ends. You know how (laughs) that ends. Yeah. And I think a lot of things are like that. Unfortunately, I just wish we could learn from other people's mistakes easier. But I think a lot of it has to do with, you have to have the proof on yourself. Like, Oh yeah, I made that mistake before. Oh yeah, I made that mistake before. Okay, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to do that again. And then you learn over time. Yeah. There's no way around it. I've tried. It sounds like you've tried too. (laughs) (laughs) There's no magic pill. No, there's not. (laughs) So in closing, may I ask, you know, if you had to go back and do it again, what might you have done differently? I would have taken a leap sooner to hire a CFO. I was doing too much as one leader. So I was the CFO, the president, and the sales manager all as one person and not doing a very good job at any of them because you can't do a good job on three full-time jobs as one person. I would have just, I don't know, maybe even borrowed the money or did something, tried to figure out like, okay, I can afford to take this risk and really just do the stuff that I'm really good at and do it really well and put more structure around, this is my role. This is what somebody else's role should be. This is what somebody else's role should be. It actually stunts your growth by not having the proper management team and trying to do everything yourself. I mean, when you're starting a business though, and you don't have the money, It's like, well, where do you get the money from? But, and maybe at first you can't hire a person. Maybe you just subcontract it out and then hire somebody, but really try to figure out what you're really good at and just do that and find other people to do the other things. Because I'm like now going, oh my gosh, if I had done that earlier, (laughs) like I personally would feel better 
my family probably would have appreciated it more because they had to deal with the struggle of all the hours. And by the time I get home, I'm exhausted and don't have as much, you know, for my family left, you know, you don't have enough energy, you only have enough, so much energy in the day. So use that energy wisely. So that would be my thing. I want to unpack what you just said, because I heard a couple different things that were interesting. On the one hand, you're saying you personally had to reflect on what are you, what are you best at and what is best to let someone else do? Was that the contributing factor? Was that the piece of information that if you had really had it at the time, you would have made that decision faster? Or would it have been something else where you brought on the CFO and something that had been broken for a long time or you didn't even know needed attention, got attention, and it was financially very relevant? What information could you have had or advice, whatever you like, you know, beforehand that would have led you there faster? Well, I'm going to go back to Culture Index just a little bit. Okay. In hindsight, to be honest with you, if I would have known culture index, even before I, I might not have picked a different career in, in college because I do think that that did help me having my CPA, doing audits, learning about a bunch of businesses took me to a level of training that I would have never had before that helps me in my, you know, running a business. But if I would have known what I was good at sooner, which culture index did help me with that and then believing it and then, then really trusting in it and experiencing it. And it's like, Oh yeah, it is good to just work on the things that you're good at for a number of reasons. One for your own self personally, because I just thought as an adult, you were tired and worn out and stressed every single day. But I was working on things that just didn't go with my personality and what I was really good at. So I would, you know, struggle each day, even though I didn't know I was in the struggle. And then I guess believing, um, having, I've had a lot of coaches over my life. And um, if I would have had some of them sooner and believed what they said about just do what you're good at, everything will be better in your company if you just do what you're good at and get other people to do what they're good at you'll grow faster, you'll be more successful. And I'm from the school of, well, if it's not painful, or if it's not difficult, I didn't, you know, I don't deserve the success. And that's, oh, that's not a good, <laughs> that's not a good way to be. It doesn't have to be like that. You don't have to struggle that much in order, you know, to get good success. If you can surround yourself by people that are smarter than you, that, you know, can, do the things that they're good at, you do the things that you're good at. So I think if I would have known that sooner and then just trusted in it, because I guess the trust is the hard part too. Like, am I making the right decision? Am I spending the money in the right way? Are my skill sets the things that are going to take us to the next level? You know, a lot of it is just trial and error, unfortunately. Yeah. I struggle with the same thing with coaches. You know, it's, and you wonder, do they really understand my context in my situation? And all advice can be good advice. It just depends on the situation, right? Right. And then the other thing I would say that I've gotten better at is self-reflection and paying attention because 
being more conscious. I would put it that way. A lot of times you're really just on this hamster wheel and you're just going and going and going and you don't ever leave any space for yourself to reflect. How are you doing? Am I happy? Am I doing the right thing for my business? Because we have a cup, basically, like I said before, with your energy, and you fill that cup all the way to the top every single day. You don't have any room for anything to go wrong. You don't have any room for reflection. You don't have any space. You need space in order to really analyze how you're doing. You need quiet time. As a leader, you should be taking, I mean, a minimum an hour a week, because a lot of us as leaders, I know I never did even an hour a week. You really should take an hour a day, but I'd be, somebody would be like, an hour a day? I don't have an hour a day. They'd be freaking out. (laughs) But at least an hour a week of no phone, no computer, just sitting and reflecting about where's my company going? How am I doing? What things are going right? What things are not going right? Just a piece of paper and a pen and writing and reflecting and journaling and just really, why are you doing what you're doing? Because a lot of times we don't even know why we're doing what we're doing. We're just on this hamster wheel and we're going and it's just, well, the the customer called and this person called and this vendor needs this. And, you know, and, and you're like, what does it all mean? And why am I even doing all of this? Does it even matter? And if you can reflect back on that, I think it gives you a little bit more sense of, yeah, I am doing the right thing. Or maybe, no, I need to do a little bit different. Or I need to hire somebody else. Or I need to have a better vision. Or I need to be better at communicating to my staff on where we're going or what we're doing or what role they even play in what we're doing and where we're going. And you need space in order to do that. You can't create, you can't innovate, you can't do any of that without space. You need a clearing, you need quiet, you need paper, pen, and reflection time. Yeah. Activity and productivity are two different things. Exactly. (laughs) I I totally agree. You got to reflect on which am I doing and it's worth the time. So I appreciate you sharing. It's been wonderful talking with you. Thanks for coming on the show and uh, telling us a bit about your company. Your showroom is open for anyone who is, uh, it is open, correct? It is. We love giving tours. I actually, that's one of my things that um, I get excited and passionate about. I know when we were closed down for a while and then you don't realize how much you miss it. I had somebody come in for a tour, probably it had been two and a half months since I've given a tour. We usually have one to five tours a day. And it had been two and a half months since I gave a tour. And I'm like, I got done giving that tour. And it was late in the day. By the time I got done, it was 530 at night. And I was like, oh, my God, I have so much energy. I'm so excited that I got to, you know, share our space and, you know, our that experience with somebody. I was like, my family's going to be so happy that I got to give that tour today because I get to come home on a high. (laughs) So, yes, please come on out and see us, you know. I mean, you don't even need to want to buy office furniture. Just come out and see us. We'll give you a tour. You'll have some ideas and, you know, you'll leave inspired. I will do that personally. I was looking at your Instagram. It's the first time I've gotten on Instagram in a long time. So thank you for that. But I look forward to coming and seeing it in person. Perfect. Thanks. Thanks again. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Hindsight. If you lead a business or are a student of business, this show is for you. Please subscribe and tune in for a new episode each week. My name is Kanai Kapadia, and this show is produced by KGK and Company, the fast-emerging 
strategic consultancy to middle market businesses. You can find us online at www.kgkcompany.com. That's kgkcompany.com. Have a good one, folks, and I'll talk to you next week.